Well, we're glad everybody's here this morning. We uh, have a unique kind of opportunity before us. And I told everybody last Sunday that these next four weeks, well, really now next three weeks, are probably the most pivotal weeks in the history of our community. And they're really important because we're looking at where we've been and where God is leading us. And as we begin to cast vision and think about the future, these weeks that I, as we share together are become very pivotal for us. They become a launching place or a foundation, if you will, for where we believe God is taking us in the upcoming weeks. So we're going to be doing a lot of teaching and vision casting and sharing and thinking and, and, and kind of laying the foundation for who we are as a church and as a community. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we're doing to get there. But we've started this series that we've just simply entitled Ecclesia. And the Ecclesia is the Greek word that's used pretty much exclusively for church in the New Testament. And actually what it means is it means assembly or gathering. It refers to the gathered people of God. The Greek word for church does not mean building. It doesn't mean place. And in our 21st century mindset, we've created an identity for church as location. You go to church, you can leave church, right? But it's not really a biblical concept. The church was where the people gathered, whether it was in the temple courts, in someone's home. In the book of Acts, we see the church interacting together all the time as community. And the assembly, the gathering, was the ecclesia. What that means is that you and I can be the church wherever we are. When we gather with other believers, with the church here on Sunday morning at 11, with the church when we meet in the park on Wednesdays, when we meet in the park for church in the park, when we meet in someone's home for dinner where our life group meets, we are the church. Church is not exclusively what we do here in this hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's just a tiny portion of what it means to be church. So as we begin to explore this idea of church and gathering and community, we're looking at who God is calling us to be. And we're going to be taking a look at this through the lens of the idea of giving. One of the passions that I have for this community, this church, is that we would be, we'd be creating a culture of generous living. That in every category of our lives, our hearts, and our, our very, kind of the way that we think and the way that we, we approach our own stuff would be done through this culture of generous life. And we're going to be approaching that um, through this teaching series. We begin to look at what it might mean to give our hearts and our lives and our resources away. We give our hearts over to the Lord give him our lives and give him our stuff and see what God does through this church. So that's where we're headed. But in order to really get there, I, I want to paint a picture for you of, of our history as a community and where we believe that God is leading us because it's actually an important foundation so that we can begin to lay out the vision. So a lot of you have been with us for a while. You know that um, basically a little bit over two years ago in May, we first began to gather in this place. And this community was actually formed out of the heartbeat of a group of people that really felt like we wanted to see a, the church live a little bit differently in terms of how it saw itself and its relationship in the world. So a few years back, there was a contemporary service that was happening at Westminster Presbyterian Church, which is just right up the hill. And that contemporary service, through this series of events, and I'm going to kind of give you the shorthand version of a lot of this, through a series of events, began to think really different about what it was called to be and do. We started teaching through the book of Acts. At that point in time, I was teaching that service, and we were teaching the book of Acts, and there were two questions that really drove to the core of our minds as we read through the New Testament kind of picture of church, and that is, who or what is the church, and what is the role of the church in the world? These two questions were fundamentally kind of impacting our thoughts as we look at the book of Acts. Who or what is the church? I mean, what really is the church, and what is the role of the church in the world? And what we began to see in the book of Acts was the church really existed as a launching place to inter interact in people's lives with the gospel. 
And the gospel was a sent message. The gospel wasn't a message that people had to come to and clean themselves up and say, boy, I really needed this. Thank you, Jesus. It was more of like Jesus meeting people in the middle of the messiness of their lives, the dirt, the struggle, the hurt on the roads, wherever they were going, in the middle of their handicaps and sins and struggles, showing up right where they were and saying, this is what the love of God looks like. I mean, that's really what the picture of the gospel, the reason it's called good news is because Jesus shows up in the middle of our mess and provides us with an answer, hope, life, both here abundantly and eternal life. What we began to see was that we've created culture out of our churches that are program-driven, that run things up flagpoles and say, hey, listen, we've got this new thing, this new service, this new idea, come to us. Come to our place, our gathering spot, and be a part of what that is. But what we were seeing in church was that, and what we were seeing in the gospel was that church should exist beyond its walls. So we started asking ourselves, and a group of us got together and began to pray, saying, God, what would it look like if we, we tried to exist beyond our walls? And we began to pray through all those options. And over the course of about three or four months, one thing was certainly clear, and that became clear that God was calling us to move outside of that building and try something really different. We didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. We just knew that God was calling us to exist in the world in a different way. And we began to develop a heartbeat for people. At the time, God kind of intersected the life of that community, that what was a contemporary service community with uh, lives of some people that had some significant needs, um, some homeless friends that lived up behind uh, Memorial and Penn. We just began to intersect with their lives, and God really began to change our way of thinking. So we just began to pray. We said, God, what are you doing? Through a series of really de- remarkable divine appointments, God sort of opened up a window here in May of 2009 at Will Rogers Theater, um, and, and that is a story amongst itself, and, and, and said, we, I believe that we're, God is calling us to, to start something really different, try something really um, new, to try and reach new people. So we started walking the neighborhood and inviting people to come, everything from the laundromat next door to people in our, um, in, our, in our kind of direct vicinity and community, and we decided on May 2nd to just start doing something. And it was a terrible time to start. I mean, you never launch anything going into the summer, but we just really didn't care. We were just felt like the Lord was calling us, and so we were just going to go for it. So on May 2nd, we, you know, we got some new stuff, and we, we kind of got Don, the band all excited. We stepped in here, and we had our first worship service. And really, that was an, a remarkable event because it began to change immediately the way that we started seeing who we were trying to reach and connect with. And we really began to develop a heartbeat for what we called, and really still do call, the disenchanted. We, we really want to reach people who are disenchanted with God, with Christians, with people, with stuff, with things, with the world, with whatever, that have kind of, you know, we're not interested in stealing Christians from other churches, we're not interested in, in, you know, trying to outperform somebody else and say, oh, our band is cooler than your band or whatever, you know, I mean, we just, we're not into that, we, we want to reach people that are going, you know what, I'm kind of frustrated with God because my life's been like this, or I'm kind of disenchanted with church in general, with Christians because my brother was there, whatever, and, and we want to lower the hurdle, not with the gospel, we don't lower the gospel hurdle, but we want to lower the hurdle of what it looks like if you want to walk in these doors. Um, I mean, we meet in a bar for all practical reasons. I mean, this is really what this is at the end of the day. And it lowers those hurdles of, of how we typically think about church. Well, on June 28th of that same year, we had a date conflict, as you all know, or most of you know, with this building. They said, we've got a wedding here, and kind of that's kind of the problem when you have rented space is that sometimes that happens. And so we said, what are we going to do? So what we decided to do was instead of canceling church, because now we were doing life, we said, let's find a place and, and basically do church and invite the entire world. And so just through a little bit of prayer and driving around and asking God what he wants to do, we ended up in Good Home Park, which now we celebrate our sixth church in the park this past 
uh, beginning of this month, and we just rented a tent, and we went outside, and we invited the world. We went door to door and invited people to come, have lunch and church, and turn the generator on, and just worship in the park. And it was a remarkable experience, not because we had thousands of people, and you know, all of a sudden everyone was taught, but because God was shaping in us a heartbeat for what it really looked like to be the ecclesia, the church, the community, the gathered people of God. And we all left there going, well, I don't know what we did, but we're doing it again, because it was awesome. And it became a staple and a heartbeat of our community. And since that point in time, we do weekly Bible studies on Wednesday down there with a lot of our homeless friends and people in the area. And we do lunch. We've got wonderful people in our community who cook lunch for us every week and really begin to shape our thinking of how we see the world. Well, we continue to live as a community. And what God was doing was he was transforming us from simply a worship service into an actual community where people were finding life and where we were building life together. And over the course of, of that first year, our leadership team really began to say, God, what are you doing? Where are you leading us? I mean, wh- at the point in time, we were existing as a mission community of Westminster Church doing worship here, but it was so much more because we were interacting with life groups and, and we were doing mission and we were engaged in Africa and Guatemala and soon to be China and God was doing things in our midst and we were seeing people come to know Christ. And we were seeing lives change, and so we began to say, God, what are you doing in us? And your leadership team really began to pray diligently about a year ago, saying, God, where are you leading us? We began to get the sense of call that God was calling this community release as a mission community of Westminster Church and be planted as its own viable Christ-following, Christ-led church. So at the beginning of the summer, we entered into that process. We took the leadership team of, of Westminster Prez, and our leadership team began to think and pray and dream, and we cast a vision for that. And uh, we have basically been released or being released by Westminster Presbyterian Church's leadership to plant our own church community, which we're very excited about. And I know that for some of you, that's like, well, that's kind of what we thought you were doing all along. Well, for those of us that have been involved from the beginning, it was always a seeking first. We just wanted to know where God was leading. We wanted to be sure that we knew that. So up until this point, Westminster has loved us and has provided for our life. They have basically nurtured us by providing dollars for us to be able to live as a community. The dollars that you give to the community actually do go to our community, but Westminster has subsidized those costs as a way of reaching people with the gospel and and, and living as a sent community. But starting January 1st of 2013, which is 14 months away, we become totally independent. In fact, starting in 2012, Westminster is reducing its involvement financially with us down to just little meager crumbs as a way of kind of releasing us. And it's an important step. And so starting in January, we have to begin to provide for our own life together. Your leadership team is actively engaged in seeking the Lord and doing all kinds of great stuff. And part of what we're going to be talking about today at our vision gathering at 3.30 is really what that looks like. All right. And so rather than getting into all that this morning, but we are releasing and we are becoming our own church. And we are doing that very rapidly and God is opening a lot of doors. I know a lot of people are saying, are you, we're planning a pre- are you planning a Presbyterian church? And we are not. We are planning a non-dominational community of believers that come from all crazy walks of life to live as the representation of Christ in the world. It's our heartbeat. We've prayed through it. We believe that's where God's leading us. If you want more details on some of those things, we're going to be doing it at 3.30 this Sunday and next Sunday. But that's where we've morphed to over two years. God has, has brought us from this little fledgling idea of trying to reach somebody to saying, now I'm empowering you and we're following the Holy Spirit into the world to live as a church, which means we are asking several things. All right? And part of what we're doing over the next few weeks as we cast vision for this idea of ex- ecclesia is we're talking about where we're going in 2012 and beyond, what we're asking from you, 
right? And then what the Bible has to say to each of us. And so each week I'm going to be doing three things. Each week I'm going to be sharing a vision point for 2012 because I want you to know the things that are close to our heart because they're going to need to be close to your heart as well. Because as of right now, as we make this kind of announcement, moving this together, we all become part of a church plant, church planters together. Like it or not, this is just who we are and where God is leading us and we are blessed to be a part of it. And that takes every one of us in this community understanding where God is taking us. Now if you're here for the first time, we want you to understand that this is a, a, a heartbeat that we are being led into. And if you want to be a part, we're so excited about that. But, but there's some things that we're mentioning over the next week in this, talking about money and resources. that, Man, we just don't want to concern you. We just want you to be here and hear about Jesus and find a place to worship. But for those who've been a part of this for a while, you understand there's a deeper level of commitment that we're asking for because we see church a little bit differently. So last week I laid into our first vision point for 2012, which is the idea of worship. You know, one of our heartbeat, one of our core values is that we would be a worship-driven community, that authentically everything that we do would be driven by and end with worship. And not worship as it happens on this stage where the band gets up and sings five songs, but worship in terms of that God gets glory and praise and honor for every single little thing that happens in our entire life as a community. Everywhere we gather is for the glory and praise of God. We do nothing without that intention. But our heartbeat is to be as a worshiping community to give everybody the opportunity to intersect with a God that radically changes lives. And I told you last week that although we rent this space, we are not committed to this space. In fact, this space, as you're going to hear in a little bit, has some limitations for us. Maybe not in terms of numerical size, and we could put 500 people in this building, but in terms of allowing our children to engage God really well, we run into some limitations, and I'll mention that in a moment. But what I, what I talked about last week was that we need to be able to divorce ourselves from the idea of we are connected with this space. Because worship transcends that. Worship is bigger than that. And over 2012, we're going to be making changes to where we actually worship so that we can engage all um, of our community in a really powerful way and allow people to worship, and including our young people. Our vision point for this morning is about our young people. One of the things that we're committed to in 2012 and beyond is what we call Vine Kids, which are really just the children that make up our community. And if you've been here at all, even if you're just here this morning, I mean, you see our kids. They are everywhere. On any given Sunday, sometimes we have as many as 25 kids first grade and below. We have a lot of young families. God has blessed us with a lot of young people. And we have a heartbeat, a heartbeat as a community, to love those kids into relationship with Christ. We also have a growing number of elementary school kids, and we want to develop a heartbeat for middle school and high school kids as well. We want to develop a heartbeat for God's young people, to love them into relationship with Christ. And there's a few ways we're doing that. One, we're making a commitment to kids in 2012. Right now, our kids meet in a hallway outside the restroom. 25 of them in there from crawlers to first grade. Our uh, elementary school kids meet out here and uh, do Bible study in, in the booth next to the bar, right? They can't go in the bar, legal, but they meet next to it, right? And, 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 and we do the best that we can with the space that we've been given, but we don't have any more space through Will Rogers, and what we need to create is space where our kids can worship really well. It doesn't mean we want grand, fancy facilities. Your leadership is not interested in buying buildings. We have better things to do with our resources for the kingdom than buy space. We are plenty happy just leasing a little bit of space so that we can have a place to gather. But we need to find intentional space that allows our kids to worship. And so we are seeking that space so that we can do real things with kids um, and really invest in their lives well. 
That's our first commitment when it comes to Vine Kids. Our second one is that in 2012, we're going to be hiring a Vine Kids director. Someone that will love on our kids more than just on a Sunday morning, but will love on our families, discipling them, training them, and equipping them to love and raise their children. Right now, we're just a gathering spot for kids. Our heartbeat for the future is we begin a launching place for families to be able to disciple their own kids and that we would love them very intentionally while they're in this place and give them the resources they need to do life together as a family. So your resources, your commitment, your involvement with us as a community allows us to do those things. It allows us to love kids and is going to allow us to hire someone who we know God is already laying out for us to come and love on these kids well. And so that is, is a, a incredibly important piece for our puzzle. As we explore 2012, you can rest assured that that is one of the commitments that we are making. And we recognize that this is a growing edge. I mean, we didn't anticipate when we started having all these kids. We just thought they'd, you know, we'd have kids, and we didn't really think it through, and then God showed up with all these kids, and, and so we want to honor that, and we want to take advantage of the opportunity God has given. What that means for you as parents is that we're committed to your kids, and we're committed to you. It means that we want to be passionate about loving your children. So we don't want you to think that we, you know, we think it's okay that, that you know, we just have a couple of volunteers and while they're amazing, um, we're okay with just that level. We want to be able to go deep and intentional with your children and be able to help you disciple them. We want to give you the tools that you need to do church with your own family more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. But we want to make your life with Christ something that penetrates every aspect of, of what you do as a family. And as a church, we believe that's one of the things that we are committed to. So in 2012, while we think differently about space, a lot of it is driven by our need for kids. Um, and so and our need to love those kids well. So with our first two vision points in place, we'll be given two more over the next two weeks. But what does that really mean for me, Trev? So what are you asking from us as a church? Well, last week I, I gave you our first action point, which is what do you want from me? And the first action point is this. We need you to pray. I don't say that lightly, I don't say it tongue-in-cheek. We need you to pray for your church and your pastor and your leadership team because we're up against some incredible decisions and incredibly important movements in our future. And the moment we begin to put our feet in the footsteps of Christ, we will run headlong into the enemy. That is a promise. We will be met on all sides by opposition from the enemy because the last thing that the enemy wants us to do is be successful in sharing the gospel with the world. And we need you to pray seriously for this church and for your leadership team, especially as they make important decisions about our future, about where God is leading us, and about where God is placing us. So we need you to pray. And you can listen to the rest of that if you want to get online. I've talked a lot about it. Our second action point, and the one we're exploring this week, is that we need you to commit. This is, if you've been coming for a while, your church. This is your community. I think sadly in our culture over the past, church culture over the past 12 to 15 years, we've created a church culture of attenders where you can show up on a Sunday morning, listen, sing, watch, engage in a sermon or whatever, be moved, and then return a week later, never really having to engage with the life of the church. For those of us that, that maybe grew up in a large parachurch ministry in college or whatever, we lived a lot of this out. We lived in large worship gatherings where entertainment was um, really central, and we wanted to create environments that made people want to come back, and so we continue to try and outperform other churches. Sadly, this is what our, a lot of our church culture has kind of ventured to. We want to try and outperform the church down the street so that you will come here. Well, I can promise you this, we probably will never outperform anyone, all right? We've, we've got better, there's better musicians, better teachers, better programs, better facilities, better stuff anywhere else you want to go. 
Our heartbeat is not to try and outperform what everybody else is doing, but instead come alongside the local church to reach a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a part of a network and a partnership of churches that has a heartbeat for reaching people with the gospel. That's who we are. But what our, our picture of church is is really different. We don't want you to come here once a week, sit in the back pew and do that for a year. At some point in time, we want you to have your life exposed a little bit, and we want you to expose it to other people. We want you to be known and to know people. We want you to live in a community that costs you something, both accountability and with your life and your heart and your resources. It says, man, I'm a, I'm a part of something that I believe God is moving in. And so if you've been here for a year and you've showed up every Sunday or every other Sunday or whatever, and you've, you've had your, your donuts, and maybe it's time for you to engage in this community on a different level. Whether that's engaging in our life group system or creating your own or whether that's engaging in the mission and heartbeat of who we are, whether it's being a part of our prayer team, whatever it is, there's a whole list of opportunities we have for you to plug your life into to go back at our community table. You can see, maybe you want to love on our kids. We've got opportunities for you to plug your life in. We don't want to create a culture of attenders. We want you to know that if you've been attending, we're glad you're attending, keep doing that, but eventually we're praying that God would kind of turn your life upside down and you'd go all in. That's just our heart. We want to be a community made of people that are all in. And that means when one of us has a need, we all have a need. When one of us has a triumph, we all have a triumph. We celebrate and do life together. What we need from you as we head into our future is this. We need you to go all in, to commit to be a part of what God is doing. So Treb, what do you need from me? We need you to pray, and we need you to commit. And then finally, we get to our teaching point, which is kind of where we, we, we kind of look at these things in Scripture, and we say, God, what are you doing in us to get us to that place? Where do we see this brought out in the Word? And last week we talked about this idea of what it means to give your heart. So we're exploring giving your heart. This week we're going to talk about giving your life. In the next two uh, weeks we're going to talk about giving your resources. And let me get it, say a word about money real quick when we talk about resources because I know everyone gets a little anxious like I'm going to start asking for your dollars. Here's the thing. This church does not want one dollar of your money until you've given your life to Christ. If you have not surrendered your whole heart to Jesus Christ, we don't want your money, we don't want your dollars. Our heartbeat is that you would meet Jesus and he would turn your life upside down. And so if you're here and you're thinking the church is going to ask you for money and pass that plate, we don't, we don't want that nor do we care. God will provide for us. We're totally confident in that. Okay? So when we talk about resources over the next two weeks, we're not talking trying to, to make you emotionally feel like you need to give dollars or whatever, or God's disappointed in me. Not that at all. We want you to surrender your heart to Christ. And our giving of our resources and our life is an overflow of what God has done in us. So don't skip the next two Sundays because you think Treb's going to talk about money. We're really going to talk about what it means to surrender our resources to a God that already owns them. All right? So that's a word about money. You'll begin to see pledge cards for 2012 around too. On October the 30th, we're going to, as part of our worship service here, we're going to have a, an opportunity where we can all s kind of give our pledge cards together for what God is doing in 2012. They're back there at the offering table. You'll see them next week and the week after. We'll be passing them out. But, but we want you to begin to pray and think about that. So what is God calling me and my family to, to support uh, the vine in 2012? What does that look like for us? And so we can talk more about that, but I just want you to, to say that you'll begin to see that. So don't panic about money. We're not panicked about it. So we trust that God will move in all of us. And we'll give our hearts to him. So last week we talked about giving our hearts. This week we're going to talk about giving our lives. What does it mean to truly give your life away to someone else? We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter um, 12. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to get there. I know that's a ton of information, but it's really important. So if you're here, we don't do this every week. So, uh, um, and we won't do it next week. You heard our story today. So we'll, we won't do that again. But um, book of Romans, chapter 12. 
So this series is really about becoming a, a culture, a community, an ecclesia that gives generously and engages life that way, that we give our hearts first and foremost to Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week, what it means to totally and completely surrender your heart to Christ, that giving your life and giving your money or your resources makes zero sense if you've never given your life to Christ. Because true giving is only a response to the God who gave everything for you, the God who gave everything for me. I cannot understand giving until I understand what Jesus did for me on the cross. And once I understand that, once I surrender my heart, everything in my world begins to change. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at what it means to give your life. Well, Trevor, aren't your heart and your life the same thing? Well, actually they're really different. Your heart is kind of built into this idea of, of surrendering to Christ, engaging in abundant life here on earth, and having the promise of eternal life. Your life is really what you begin to give away when you engage with other people. So my heart I engage with Christ, my life I engage with people. Before we dive into Romans 12 verse 9, I, I want to give you one principle that kind of really is, is sort of an overreaching or overarching principle for this entire concept of generous living. And, and that is this. And, and you may not agree with me because, you know, maybe you're here for the, for the first time, maybe you're just not a church person, but what I'm going to say is a biblical principle that I think is very true and you can search it all that you want to and I promise when you get through the Bible you, you will find it to be true and that is this, your life as a follower of Christ, your life and your stuff all belongs to the Lord, okay? Your life and your stuff all belongs to the Lord. Now, as a follower of Christ, we kind of know that. We knew that we gave our life to Christ. We know that God has blessed us with these things. We know we can't take Him with us. But if you read Scripture from start to finish, what you'll realize is that a follower of Christ, you surrender everything of yours to Jesus, including your heart, your life, and your resources. Everything belongs to God. But we don't really think that way in our culture. We tend to think that these things are ours. We name them. We write our names on them. We, you know, we... we kind of identify them, we try and hold them and create them and, and you know, take care of them and grow them and, and everything from bank accounts to people, they belong to us. The truth is a follower of Christ, everything in your life, including your resources, including your husband, your wife, your kids, your bank account, your car, your food, whatever it is, it all belongs to the Lord. And it's a really difficult concept to grasp because, I mean, I have it in my pocket and it feels like mine. But when you begin to read scripture, you'll begin to realize that technically it's all the Lord's. And if we really begin to see our stuff, our houses, our cars, our things as God's, then we become stewards of God's resources. We become the people that have the ability to then give away what God has given us. And it changes the way that you see the world. We're no longer so concerned on how we stake down the things that we have so they don't blow away in the wind. But we're opening our lives to what God may say and what God may do. Now, it's a kind of a radical concept, and we're going to get into it over the next three weeks, but everything begins there. Before I can really understand giving, I've got to understand, Trump, my stuff is not mine. My kids are not mine. My wife is not mine. They belong to the Lord. God has blessed me with them. Whether I have a, a, a radical abundance of stuff or whether I've just got a, a few small things, those things, as followers of Christ, all belong to the Lord. All right? So that's our principle. So we're going to dive into the book of Romans, and what we're going to learn is that because of that overarching principle, what Paul is going to tell us is that giving, giving, giving our lives, giving our hearts, begins with love. So let's turn to Romans chapter 12, and let's pray um, before we enter into this uh, kind of remarkable passage. Lord, I know that there's a lot of words that I just said, 
And I know, Father, that there's a lot that we're trying to do and think through as a community. But Lord, these are such important things. And I know that you're moving in us. And so I pray, God, that what you do as we open your word is that you would reveal to us truth. God, that you would reveal to us your promise and your love for us. And that we might encounter the living God and be changed forever. Take just a moment and just ask God in the next few minutes to teach your heart. To teach your heart in a remarkable way. Just speak that to the Lord. Pray for someone beside you or in front of you or behind you. Just pray for them. Pray that God would move in their life. God, we love you and we thank you for your son Jesus. As we encounter your word this morning, we know it's an encounter with you. We ask that you would turn our worlds upside down. Amen. So a quick quick word about this passage. Paul is writing to the gathered church in Rome, which was made up of both Jewish and Gentile or non-Jewish Christians. So it was kind of an eclectic group of people from a lot of backgrounds and a lot of different cultures living in Rome as the church. And, and really there's probably no more difficult place, well maybe Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem to live as a church than Rome. Um, Rome was the center of all cultural activity, all religions, all people gathered there, and it was an incredibly hostile place to the gospel because Christians believe that there was only one God. Rome, the Romans were actually really okay with Christianity. In spite of what you read in history, they were really okay with it. The problem that they had was that Christians denied all the other gods. See, Romans were okay with God, and they were okay with Jesus, as long as you believed in all the other ones, the sun god, and the god of love, and the goddess of this, and the goddess of that. They were fine with it. But what Christians said was, we believe in Jesus, the one true God, and that really messed everybody up. So it was a really hostile place to be Christians. And so Paul's kind of letter to the Romans is really a gospel letter. It's a letter of of basic truth and theology. And it's really powerful, and it's deep, and it's profound. But at its core, it is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to dive into it too deep because we don't have that much time this morning. And in the beginning of the new year, I'm going to be doing this entire series on the biblical picture of love. And so some of these verses we're going to be covering then. But I want you to understand that when we begin to think about giving, resources, life, and heart, everything is driven by love. Look at verse 9, chapter 12. Love must be sincere. And Paul, again, is writing this to these gathered Christians. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. Now at first read, it sounds like we're at a wedding, right? It sounds like one of those verses that you would read at a wedding. Love is this, love is kind, you know, Corinthians type of love. But really it's a different picture than just that. This group in Rome was was a really interesting mix of people, and, and Paul is trying to write and let them know that these huge category, categorically different groups of people, Christian, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, had got to live in a way that reflected this amazing, incredible love of God, because they weren't natural groups of people that did life together. You know, there were Samaritans in the mix, and, and, and the Jewish people didn't mix with Samaritans, and they thought Gentiles were heathens, and, and so when you put all these people in the room, what Paul's trying to get to the idea of, look, is that everything boils down to this idea of love, and not that sort of 
huggy-dovey kind of God is love. Nobody really knows what that means kind of definition of love. But love that says there is a significant, important factor to what we do. And that is driven by the way that God loves you. Driven by the way that Christ laid his life down so that you would know him. Every single one of us comes to the table at that exact same place. So whether you move from this wealthy area or this side on the other side of the tracks or whether your skin color is this or that, we all come to the table with this exact unifying thing, which is the love of Jesus Christ. Binds us. We are one. It's kind of a theme in a lot of Paul's letters. This oneness of the gospel. Oneness of God's people. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, everything that you do in terms of life together, giving your life to each other as a community is rooted in love. And he says, love must be sincere, right? It's not fake. It's not a joke. It has to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, when you're devoted to something, you're committed to the outcome or to that thing no matter what kind of sacrifices it takes along the way. When you think of devotion, you think of, man, I am committed, right? I'm committed. I'm devoted. And Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. He's going, look, as a community, as a gathered people, you're supposed to be committed to each other in brotherly love, in that family kind of love that isn't always pretty, right? You think about brotherly love. I mean, you think about if you have brothers or sisters, I mean, think about the way that you love them. Have you ever just wanted to punch them in the mouth? Absolutely. Right? But brotherly love is committed. It's saying, I want the best for you no matter what, even when we radically disagree. Because our heartbeat is the same, or should be. Paul says, you've got to be devoted to one another. Right? Committed to each other, not to yourself. Honor one another above yourself. You know how you honor people? You place their needs, their feelings, their desires in front of your own. Think about that. If you honor your spouse, right? You place her needs or his needs above your own. Well, what does that look like in the church setting? Well, I think sadly our churches are, we're not really good at doing this. We tend to think that church is about me, that life is about me. This is my pew, my seat, my program, my thing. And I'm more concerned with the fact that you may change my thing than I am with the reason behind why you might be changing it in the first place. We become more concerned with why the donut table got moved, right, or why we painted the walls of our building than we are about the purpose for trying to reach people with Christ. We become more concerned with, you know, people or how many people we have than the one guy that slipped in the back of the room four weeks in a row and no one's spoken to him. Church on so many levels for us has become about us. It's become about me. It's become about my comfort. But honoring people, honoring my brothers, honoring my sisters, the people in my community means that your needs come before my needs. It means I'm okay with being a little uncomfortable so that you can meet Christ better. I'm okay with being a little less comfortable in, in what I know because I want our kids to know Jesus. I'm okay with the fact that they run around and loud, and loud because I know that family that's never been to church in their whole lives just brought all nine of their kids or all two of their kids and today they might meet Christ. And I'm okay with the fact that we're doing that. I'm okay with the music maybe a little loud because I know that that guy in the back loves it. See, I'm okay with being uncomfortable because I want to honor you above myself. Part of giving your life away begins by saying, this is not about me. The moment as a church we become committed to programs and stuff and things and resources, the moment we do that is the moment we become spiritually bankrupt. Our heartbeat should always be about the people around us. Sure, I'm willing to sacrifice so that you might know Christ better. 
right? Devote yourselves to each other in brotherly love, right? We're going to move to this stuff real quick. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. He goes, listen, you're going to be committed to each other, devoted to each other, but never, never lack your spiritual zeal, that fervor, that passion, right, in serving the Lord. He's basically saying this, love each other, but don't mistake loving each other for complacency, and don't mistake loving each other for peace at all costs. See, oftentimes in church, we feel like that loving each other means we're going to have to go about being peace at all costs. We're going to surrender truth in order to be peaceful with each other. Not really what Paul's saying. What he's saying is that what should drive us is our desire and passion to serve Jesus above all else. We never should lack in that. That should be what drives every one of us. And even if that means that sometimes our brotherly love has to get a little, a little accountability involved in it. It's not peace at all costs. It's serving Jesus at all costs, never losing our zeal and our passion. Which means if I become more devoted to you than I am to Christ, I've missed it. You never become more committed to the church, the program, to the ideals, to the mission statement than we are to serving Jesus. And when our programs begin to get in the way of our ability to serve Christ, we should throw them out. The day our budget gets in the way of serving Jesus is the day we should cut it in half and just give half of it away. We should do something radical to begin to make sure that our priorities are realigned. So never lose that zeal. We're going to get into verse 11 next time we, or next time we do this in the, in the um, spring, or verse 12, so I'm going to skip it. But be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Awesome stuff. We're going to get into that. But listen to this. I'll wrap everything up with this. Share with God's people, verse 13, who are in need, and practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. What does it mean to give my life? Well, a lot of us think that sharing means I give what I have out of abundance to you that may not have. That's what we've been taught since grade school. We've been taught that if I have two crackers and you have no crackers, I give you one cracker, we both have one cracker, right? That is what we have been taught that sharing means. And certainly this verse means that. It means that when someone comes in here and they don't have clothes, and all I've got is a closet full of clothes, how can I justify not giving you some of my clothes? If we really read scripture, we, we can't get away from that. If I know that you are starving and I am eating myself into a stupor, how can I not give you some of my food? These are difficult, crazy, but really important questions. But what if our thoughts about sharing wasn't just about resources? So what if at the end of the day it wasn't just about giving away crackers and clothes? Because I think on some level the church has reduced itself to a distribution center of goods. But I want you to venture with me and think about this for just a minute. What if our needs weren't all physical? What if the needs that you had were not just about clothing or money or cars or whatever? What if your needs were actually emotional and spiritual? Because I venture to believe that everybody walks through these doors on any given Sunday morning has got some kind of physical need. I venture to believe that most of us walk through these doors with a spiritual and emotional need. We're hurt, we're wounded, we're lonely, we're fearful, we're afraid, whatever. We've been burned, we've been abused, we've been, well, we're disenchanted. What if sharing in this picture with each other was not just tangible? But what if the church existed to engage and give life to each other? What if you were willing to risk and step outside of this picture of life to engage in someone else's life? What if that same person you've seen for three weeks and they sat in here every week and it looks like no one's talked to them, that you decided you were going to risk and meet them and invite them into your story? What if you wanted to meet someone in this place and ask them how life was? 
See, sometimes we reduce the idea of sharing in church down to stuff. And I think God is so not concerned with stuff. Although certainly, man, when people have needs, we want to give to them. But what if giving your life began with giving your heart to Jesus and then your very being to somebody else in community? See, we believe that giving life here is wrapped up in all of those things. See, the challenge about giving life is saying, God, I want to think differently about people, and I want to think differently about the world. I want to think differently about my resources and my heart. And sometimes it can be really, really simple. And sometimes it's really, really complicated. But as you think about giving your life and you think about church, we want to encourage you to think radically different about your stuff and about people. To begin to live as the ecclesia that we believe God is calling us to. And sometimes it can start as easy as, as this. Jimmy's going to pop this video on for us for just a second. And we're going to take a look at it. And it's going to be a picture of how we begin to think differently about our world. So my husband is reading the Sunday paper. And he comes across an article that talks about this refugee family that had gotten their bikes stolen and that their bikes were their transportation. And he says, come over here, you need to read this. The kids got up and it was craziness and Brad sat everybody down and he talked about what a refugee family was and, and then he asked the question, well, what can we do about this? My nine-year-old pipes in and says, I think we need to go get them bikes. And Brad said, you're right, that's what we should do. We should go get them bikes. And I thought, oh my gosh. I'm thinking we're gonna show up with bikes and they probably have at least five or six bikes by now. And my kids are gonna be so disappointed and we're going to spend our Sunday dealing with this rather than having our family day like we were going to have. But we get in the car, we're all excited, we um, head to the store to pick out the bikes, which was fun. The boys wanted to find a certain color and we knew that they had one son and so the boys wanted to pick out the bike for the the boy. We pile the bikes in the car. As we drive down the road, we realize we really don't know where we're going. My husband called the church that was affiliated with this family. They said that they couldn't give out the address. He is persistent with the person on the phone and said, it looks as though this is in this part of town, is that right? And the voice on the other end said, you're right, it's in that part of town. I kept thinking, they probably already have bikes by the time this article has been written and printed. I'm sure somebody has already made sure that this family has bikes. And so there is a line of these duplex homes and we had to figure out which home was theirs. The picture in the paper had a hose reel on the front and so we looked for that hose reel, and sure enough, one of the kids said, there it is, there's the hose reel. And there's no one home. 
and we decide to wait. And a half an hour goes by, two hours, three hours, and by that time, I'm ready to leave. It's, we've waited long enough. My husband said, let's make one more pass through the neighborhood and then we can go home. Then the excitement starts. They're home. The little boy was you know, telling his dad, these bikes are for us. And the only thing that the dad could say was, I like bike, I like bike. And he had the biggest smile on his face and he's like, I like bike. I said to the boy, have you gotten a bike yet? And he said, no ma'am. I, I think that was kind of a turning point for me. like. Even though it wasn't convenient, even though it was a long day, even though I thought that the need had already been met, experiencing that joy when we drove away and how my kids were saying, that was so cool, that was so cool, did you see their faces? That was, that was what was so meaningful. I think so often the need is so, the need is so close that you miss it. 